if I try to imagine a person who just like comes into a library for reader's advisory and is like, I want a book about transportation and it doesn't matter what kind of transportation. Like, I don't know if this person exists. I don't think think this is a real situation. No, there 100% is. Jam, the issue is they're six years old. Yes, that is the issue. May I have your attention, please? The next arrival on this service is episode 188 of the Book Club for Masochists, our Reader's Advisory Podcast. This episode calls at all stops in the discussion of transportation and transit nonfiction. If only we could take our love of reading to a new level. Well, I've always wanted to start a book club. Hello and welcome to the book club for masochists, where we read and discuss all the genres and types of literature, regardless of our actual interest in them. Every month, we read books from a new, randomly picked genre. Then on the podcast, we discuss our reading choices, experiences, opinions, appeal factors, and other related topics as friends and library workers. It's episode number 188, and that means it's time for us to discuss transportation and transit nonfiction. Doot doot. Can't wait till we do transportation and transit fiction. <laughs> you, you joke, and what I'm, I'm, there is a book on my list to buy. Uh, it's part of that, like, the British Library Weird Fiction series, and it's about trains. And I'm like, 100%, I'm like, I need this book about weird trains. Great, yeah. The Platform Edge, Uncanny Tales of the Railways, part of the British Library Tales of the Weird series. Excellent. <laughs> On my list to read. Gotta put it in the show notes now. And actually, when I mentioned what to- our topic was for the month to somebody else, they said, oh, so like, is somebody reading the Orient Express? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. This is the final call for the Book Club for Masochist episode on transportation and transit nonfiction. Please remain behind the yellow line until the introductions and announcements have come to a halt. Ensure all previous listeners have exited first before starting the episode. All aboard! My name is Jam. I'm a librarian in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded land of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Stolo people. My name is Matthew. I'm a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA. My name is Anna. I'm also a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA, which is the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations and peoples. And my name is Megan. I'm an archivist. I live in the national capital region of Canada, um, which is on the unceded traditional territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. I will say that we have a book list for this episode, as we do with all of our genre episodes in the last few years, a book list of books in this genre or this topic, depending on what you consider to be the categories of, of nonfiction, uh, books in this topic about transportation and transit by authors of color. So if you check the show notes or our website, bookclubform.com, you will find a list of transit and transportation books by authors of color. Listeners are reminded to mind the gaps between concepts and themes as the hosts are trying to define the genre of transportation and transit nonfiction. I want to mention for our listeners that in prepping for this episode, whenever we talked about it, I feel like we, rather than calling it the transit or transportation episode, we just call it the trains episode. Uh, <laughs> it's in our calendar as trains, I believe, <laughs> this, this recording session. And, uh, there is an exercise that I remember doing in library school where you um, 
there was like a chart of birds and it was like some survey that was done asking people to, uh, you know, sort of rank birds as the most or least the most bird-like bird, the best example of the category bird, um, you know, about, about you know, taxonomy and, and categories and classification. So, like, a robin is a very bird bird and an ostrich is not a very bird bird. Uh, and so, I feel like <laughs> one thing we've discovered this month is that trains are the most transit transit. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, I guess, I, I don't think I'd even considered until now, like, we could have read books about cars. Yeah. Yeah, there's books about cars on the on the book list. They're transportation, but you know, it might also be that might also be our bias that we none of us own cars and are car people. I we own a car. I own a car. Anna owns a car. You own a car? There's like fifty percent car ownership in the I say we. Anna owns a car. <laughs> I sit in the car sometimes. <laughs> I said that but I wasn't confident about it. I was like, I don't <laughs> I don't actually know if any of us own cars. But I think both we can all agree that we are like car avoidant car people. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely don't drive anymore that I absolutely must, which is usually about once a week. Car light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's the train that feels the most transit transportation. I will talk about this more later on, but one of the things, one of the media i experienced this month (laughs) um kind of discussed the idea of like trains being quote-unquote like sexy in regards to new (laughs) transit projects and i think that's something that that is true it's like people get excited about a train in the way that like a new bus line does not excite them yeah that's true it it is i feel like there's something slightly magical about trains um because it is you know, we kind of know trains, but it feels like this sort of separate piece of infrastructure that we don't interact with on a day-to-day basis. But it's also like requires so much infrastructure and is like permanent in this way that like a bus is not. Uh, and I, I, in particular, I was on a bus route for a little while that went through train tracks. And on some days, we were just stopped, like waiting 20 minutes for the train. And I love the feeling of being stopped at a railroad crossing waiting for a train to go by because it feels to me just magical where where it's like so counter to our our very car centric culture and and culture of like convenience and and expediency to just be like no we just have to wait with this while this like whale of a machine <laughs> swims past us you know part of me thinks it's it's because i watched so much miyazaki Mm. Yeah, but the the cat bus is a bus. That's true. But there's a lot of scenes where like people are like sitting on trains or waiting at the train station and it's just like beautiful and yeah, calming. Yeah, it has a certain kind of mood and tone, but also like I could conceivably operate a bus. I could not conceivably operate a train. <laughs> <laughs> you don't imagine yourself with a little hat, Anna? It there's just a button that says go, right? <laughs> I, I just realized, like, I also read a uh, an, a collection of short stories, like romance short stories from Japan, like a comic, a, collect, a manga collection of short stories that were all about romance stories about trains <laughs> that involved, I think, yeah, mostly I think they were romance, like train-related romance stories. A lot of people, like, meeting each other on, like, train platforms and stuff like that. So what we have learned so far in this episode about <laughs> nonfiction books about trains is that we could have just as well done this as an episode of 
fiction. But fiction specifically like trains, <laughs> trains even. Specifically. Train fiction. 100% trains, yeah. Okay, I will add it to our list. <laughs> I did ask one of my colleagues, because he's a transportation geek kind of person, mostly planes, I think. Um, and when I first asked him, he was like, oh, fiction? And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> nonfiction first. <laughs> so I imagine there are options. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that there are people that would be excited about this idea of taking trains as a fiction topic. <laughs> or or transportation, but really trains. Yeah. Like honestly, I I think that uh trains train fiction would is more exciting than like at least like 20% of the genres we cover on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like like come on, would you rather read a tra- train fiction book or like another economics book? Yeah, for sure. I, I will say, um, I don't know how much I'm going to have to say about background and search strategies and 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 such for this uh, for this genre because I feel like I tend to try to be generous to our nonfiction genres and like imagine a, a hypothetical reader who is like you know generally interested. I can imagine someone like who's like, oh, I'm interested in economics, but I don't have a specific you know area of, you know, is open to reading lots of different things. I feel like transportation and transit, if I try to imagine a person who just like comes into a library for reader's advisory and is like, I want a book about transportation and it doesn't matter (laughs) what kind of transportation. Like, I don't know if this person exists. I I don't think this is a real situation. No, there 100% is. Jam, the issue is they're six years old. Yes, that is the issue. <laughs> oh, that's true. I've, I've helped those people a lot, actually. Yeah, I, I had someone come and ask for uh, uh, construction trucks and I... Yes, yes, exactly. I got him books about like, uh, like diggers and cranes instead, and that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people who would ask for transportation as opposed to a specific kind of transportation or a particular area are the people who are actually interested in urban planning. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I agree. That that sounds about right to me. And matches kind of with some of what I uh, experienced when looking for books, actually, right? Like, like I could either take it very um, sort of type of transportation-y, so like trains, planes, bicycles like whatever type of transportation you wanted to select uh, like uh, there is a book i i borrowed though i didn't read it about um automated car like the driverless cars right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. specific types um or the transportation ones are fell more into the kind of urban planning and like like that that area of transportation of like how do we think about and design and develop and deal with the issues of mass transit and or uh, mass transit and or just like road systems. It is kind of funny how this is one of those genres though where like like this is a big children's genre, like a big area of children's nonfiction. But like there's not a lot for adults, at least in the libraries we visited. Not overwhelming. I found it tricky to sort of figure out what might actually be appealing because those sort of general encyclopedic all vehicles that have wheels all vehicles that are considered flying kind of things are um less than appealing to to read in like in one go (laughs) i will say this might be like overstating it a bit but i feel like uh one library that i used to work at that served a a much older community and uh 
kind of an older and wealthier community than some of the other communities I've lived or worked in. They love their royal biographies. They did. <laughs> they did have a lot of royal biographies. <laughs> they also actually had a pretty extensive like trains and and cars section because that was a that was a constituent it's it's sort of like beginning of life end of life like return to interest in the uh big you know transportation um yeah. you know vehicles i i feel i wonder like to some extent i think like the idea of like train spotters and plane spotters and people like that that got really into these specific areas when we i remember when we were in last time we were in the uk and a being blown away that there were like multiple train magazines available to buy, <laughs> which is just like mind blowing to me. Um, I can't remember if they were like model train magazines or like full, just normal train magazines, whatever. The UK magazine culture, baffling. That I will agree with. I feel like trains and planes and stuff like that are the kind of area where there's not necessarily a ton of people, but the people who are interested are very interested and very passionate about their interest and very invested in it. So even if, like, for example, the train books didn't get a lot of circulation, it's a community that was very interested in, in the topic. Agreed. That is a community that would tend to check out everything we had on that topic and really wanted to dig into them and would make special requests for things. Now, what I've just realized that I actually want um, is, Jam, last episode, you talked about Heaven's Design Team which is the manga mm -hmm. about people designing different animals. Uh, and I just want that, I realized, for vehicles. Uh, give me a one where the same thing, where they're just designing cars and bicycles, and they're getting it wrong at first, and then they actually do a thing, and there's a little, like, one paragraph at the end that tells you how truthful it is. Give me that. Won't won't last as long. But still, uh, I think that would be pretty entertaining. Heaven's Design Team Engineering Division or something. There's your, There's the spinoff idea. Here is a security announcement. Please do not consider your personal baggage as the hosts discuss their previous experiences with the genre. Do we have anything we want to say about our own backgrounds? Like, I feel like it's it's probably run into the ground that I have read a lot of bicycle books. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. So for new listeners who have never heard this before, I have read a ton of bicycle books, and I am that person who likes the trains only for bicycles. All of them. <laughs> Also, the type of person that does winter cycling, uh, so like not not just reading about bicycles, but also using bicycles. I will admit that I intentionally i I saw a book that was about bicycles, and I was like, "Oh, that one seems kind of interesting." And then I was like, "I I don't think I I should read that one because I don't think I could comment on that one in front of Megan." <laughs> <laughs> Be intimidated. Yes. <laughs> we were on bicycles last year. Barely a year ago, you were on a bicycle. Yeah. And, and then proceeded to fall off said bicycle. <laughs> oh, that happens. I have also fallen off within the last month. My uh, physiotherapist's office is just uh, down the block from a, a bicycle shop that always has very beautiful bicycles on display. Uh, and so I do, I have started just looking at them and being like, maybe I could own a bicycle, even though I have never been an urban cyclist. Uh, I, I rode a bicycle um, once in, in Berlin <laughs> when I was visiting friends. Um, but they, but it's a very different, like it's a very flat city there and they have really nice bike lanes. So I don't know that I'm a Vancouver cyclist. I don't know. I don't know. I'll just keep looking at the pretty bikes. They're also very expensive. E-bikes. 
That's the solution. They're very fun, the e-bikes. Yeah. I don't know. So I th- I can't – I think it was earlier this year when I was staying at your place, Jam. Mm-hmm. And I think you have you, – do you have like transit maps up on the wall in your apartment? Um. Not transit map specifically, but we had um we have just a a bunch of different maps of uh we've got a map of Rhode Island, we've got a map of Vancouver, we've got a map of Buenos Aires and uh a few other little maps around. Yeah. I can't anyway, I was talking with your partner about probably the extension mm-hmm. to the Vancouver Skytrain line, um, and saying something about like watching YouTube videos. And they asked me, like, do you watch a lot of YouTube videos? But- trains <laughs> and i was like no i don't think so and i'm like maybe I, and i'm like oh no compared to most people i do watch a lot of youtube videos <laughs> about like transit systems and stuff and a lot of them are like urban planning themed um as anna said uh and others are just like look at this weird bus uh, or the one that i watched recently that was pretty entertaining was the uh so some of our listeners might be familiar with the rail replacement bus service where the train is not running and so there's a bus and they need to fix the tracks. Uh, so this was a video about the rail replacement helicopter service uh, that flew people up and down to this town, I think in Switzerland. Um, and uh, because they were fixing the train lines and it was too steep to get anything else up up there. And so they used a, uh, a helicopter. And there was like some footage of like children getting on the helicopter to go to school in the morning, which must be so exciting for those kids. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm very jealous. Yeah, my version of this is actually those, um, uh, speaking of YouTube videos in this area, would be those videos of Japan. Uh, they're like really fancy, tra- like public transportation systems, basically. And so, so you can sometimes find these like silent videos of just somebody like taking a really super fancy bus. That's an overnight bus with like reclining chairs and private pods <laughs> or like taking a super fancy fast train in Japan. And I'll just watch these like videos of like super fancy fast trains in Japan. Um, there's, a, there's a great video that is a like front row camera shot of the Vancouver Skytrain from when it opened and now um, and just showing – the how like the city has grown up uh from the 80s to a couple of years ago when it was when it was when that video was made it's really it's really cool to see um but that reminded me also of like those like slow travel or whatever channels that are just like here is a 12 hour train trip in norway oh i do remember this now ian and i were talking about this the other day he didn't remember he didn't remember this conversation that you had about watching train videos but this is sounding more familiar <laughs> Please note, I do not watch the 12-hour Norwegian train videos or whatever they happen to be. Not even on double speed? No, no. <laughs> I would, they feel like that's a good like background, kind of like that crackling fire. That is exactly what they're used for, yeah. I also remembered that a major thing that I'm sure none of us paid attention to is military vehicles and transportation things. Because they're, they're actually, that is probably one of the, the major adult nonfiction transportation books is like here's a book about planes from this war or like i guess tanks are a type of transportation Mm -hmm. i am i am interested because i uh when we were talking about uh children children coming into the library and just wanting any books about transportation i gave the example of like construction vehicles 
I then had the thought, like, are those transportation? Because their main function is not to transport people from like point A to point B, they're to like build things. And in the same way, our military vehicles transportation, if that if their main function is not transportation. Well, some of them are definitely transportation is the thing. And it's like vehicles? Is the, is the genre actually vehicles? Or is that a different thing? That might be a different genre. Uh, I don't know, because I was... I was thinking about boats for this too, and because like I was like I didn't I didn't even think to look up boats. I didn't really even think to look up airplanes, although I stumbled across some sections on it. But I was like, yeah, I'm not into the airplane stuff. Um, it was like it's so focused on like uh, basically mass transit trains, and I mean mostly because of you making bicycles <laughs> and things like that. That it didn't occur to me to think about some of these other offshoots. Um, that could sort of overlap in this area. So maybe that's how we go into search strategies. For your own safety, please listen carefully as the host discuss their techniques and strategies for searching for transportation and transit nonfiction. How did we find the books we found? I truly ended up just picking books that I had in my house. <laughs> my, I mean, my background uh, that I didn't really. I didn't. I don't have much background in this. I, they say my partner has more background. Matthew mentioned we've got maps up in our house, not necessarily transit maps, but um, definitely my partner is more interested than I am in, like, yeah, ur- urban planning and and how cities are laid out, and um, specifically like train systems and transit systems. And uh, I've played a lot of what is the name of the game, Matthew? Mini Metro. Mini Metro. I've played a ton of which is very fun game if you're interested in transportation related puzzles. Is that the one where you have to make a metro and have not all the little people get mad at you because they got stuck at a metro station? Yep. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's very good. Um, But yeah, so we have two books uh that of of transit maps that have been gifted to my partner ian uh over the years because people know that he is interested um in transit maps so that was my search strategy i mentioned already that i asked a colleague (laughs) Um, and then i did like the usual searches in the catalog for trains and boats and planes and uh like straight transportation that kind of thing so just a lot of keyword searching yeah, we went to the library and just kind of looked in the Dewey area for these sorts of books. And like that's why I'm saying like there wasn't a lot there. Um maybe there's stuff hidden in some other section of the library. We looked in two sections. Yeah, there were two sections that we looked in, but still there wasn't that much I felt there, unfortunately. I also just realized that I forgot to mention Soviet bus stops and Soviet metro stations. Mm. Which were maybe less about transportation in some ways because they're about the stations it like is a is a book about a train station a book about transportation and transit yeah because you need the train station oh i'm sure there are train stations that don't have any trains i mean i've seen well i was going to talk about train stations that are just like a concrete square where they stop uh (laughs) they're not pretty but they're part of the whole transportation system yeah before we went to the um the public library. I also did look up. I was most interested in reading something about like maybe subway systems or um like that version of of mass transit is what interested me. So I looked up a few different books on that, but none of the local libraries had them. So I could have ordered it, but we were reading on a slightly tighter tight line for this month just because of 
the season being a travel heavy travel season for everybody we kind of needed ironic to get this. yeah <laughs> true mm-hmm. uh we kind of needed to get this recorded so um so it's like i can't order something for this month i i really needed to be something that i can grab immediately um so i did have some i had actually picked one that i was like this one like i genuinely sounds really interesting and i want to read but it it wasn't anywhere local um which, which is like we have access to like the public library system and two academic libraries yeah. at like large research institutions. And we were still just like, eh, we don't have these books that we look interesting. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I did, we picked some things from the, the public library is really interesting to go through the shelves here because I, I was thinking about it in terms of that one library that I worked at that had sort of a, an older community to it. And they had just a huge section for like, um, a, a lot of these areas for trains, for classic cars, for all this kind of stuff. Like they had a big selection and I was kind of surprised at how little there was here. It just makes you think how different, you know, communities are in terms of what our, what we collect and, and, um, and save in our, our library collections for the, you know, the needs and interests of a given community. And clearly this is not a community that was like, I really want to see about classic trains and classic cars because there was not much of that there. Um, but I did, so I am going to briefly mention it because I didn't read it. Um, but I do want to note, I did grab one of those like coffee table books that's just like pictures of trains. Like literally, it is just called The Art of the Locomotive is what it's called. It's by, uh, Ken Boyd. And I just flipped through it just to look at them, but I didn't read it at all. There's a bunch of content in there that I didn't like dig into. Um, but it was very interesting just to like look at. It's like basically a chronological sort of history of locomotives, but it's very much focused on like, how do you take a picture of them and represent them? And then unpacking some of that like history and where are they located where you can find some of these classic locomotives. The thing that caught me when I was like flipping through this is despite the fact that I have no interest whatsoever in like trains, really, on like, like on a deep, that deep level of like, I want to really learn about them, right? Like, I, I don't. Um, I'm glad they exist, but I'm not a super fan. Um, but it was so surprisingly relaxing just to sit with this book and flip through all these pictures of trains from over time and at different locations and different styles and designs and, you know, older ones at different gauges of rails and stuff like that and just be like, I don't know, just weirdly relaxing to flip through it all. Did you see the galloping gooses? Oh. Mm-mm. No, I didn't. Matthew's now picked up the book and is looking through the pictures and is now telling me things about the trains. This is right up his alley. It's just not like a YouTube video. Okay. Oh, this is exciting news, Anna. This vehicle is still operational and is preserved by the Colorado Railroad Museum. Ooh. And still operational. We would like to let you remind our listeners that when interest is entitled, a co-host is read, they should pause the podcast or consult the show notes before arranging for a library hold. I guess it's time to talk about books. Books. We definitely read books this month. Definitely read books. Definitely didn't just look at books. <laughs> about media. One of the things I have to talk about is not a book. Oh, cool. Let's start with that. No. Okay. Because <laughs> I have a book that I will talk about very briefly that is less interesting. So you're saving the best for last. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I picked up the book Iron Empires, Robber Barons, Railroads, and the Making of Modern America by Michael Hiltzik, which is a book about the early days of the railroad um, in the USA. And I was 
interested enough to read this book about the early days of the railroad. And then I discovered that this was not a book about the trains. It was a book about the train companies. And so there's a lot of like buying stocks and the <laughs> really rich people that own these train things and like very little about the actual trains themselves. So I got two chapters in and I was like, I can't read any more of this book. I also picked up the very delightful and cute little Trolley Cars of Fort Collins by E.S. Payton, R.A. Mormon, and Kenneth Jessen, which is a like one step up from a zine publication from 1986. It's a booklet. Yeah, a booklet. Um, Like it's stapled on the side uh, about the trolley cars of Fort Collins uh, because there is still one trolley car that runs in Fort Collins. In the summer. We have not seen it. We have not ridden it because it doesn't go anywhere useful in any way. It's entirely just like a tourist thing. It like goes down and then back. And that's kind of it. We've seen the track. There's some, some of the tracks were still downtown. Some of them were built over and some of them were still there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, it's, I'm like, why did we need to go next summer? We need to go to see this thing. Clearly, like, if someone wants to fund a YouTube channel for us, we can start going to Colorado train and trolley things and make videos about them. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm going to be funded to do a YouTube channel. It is not going to be about that. <laughs> anyway, the thing I will talk more about, um, which is another Colorado related thing, was this podcast series called Ghost Train, which is a four-part podcast by Denver Public Radio, um, which I had seen linked from somewhere, probably Reddit or something. Um, and it came out, I think, about two years ago now. And it's about the way that Denver and their surrounding area tried to develop a train network, um, like a commuter trail network. Train, a computer, a computer trail network. <laughs> commuter. A commuter train network. And basically, this was in the early 2000s or mi- early mid-2000s. And they have successfully built a lot of trains and nobody uses them. And it was because they built this train system, like theoretically, like commuter rail system in the worst possible, in the most American way, maybe is, is the way to describe this. Not the worst way, but the most American way, which is that it was designed so that people could drive to the train station and then take the train downtown. And people decided, I'll just drive downtown. Yeah. And so you have all these train stations that are basically just like a parking lot um, and there's nothing nearby. And there's like a couple of those in Vancouver, but generally they're like in places where people live or want to go and things like that. And there was also a section about the train to Boulder. Boulder being the city where I work. And there is no train to Boulder. And this is about why there's no train to Boulder. And listening to this podcast really explained some things to me about why I see very angry comments online from people about, where is our train? We were promised a train. And I thought these were just people that are just like, wanted a train because i'm like yeah i want a train to boulder too give me a train to boulder <laughs> but i'm like oh no there's like there's political history to why these people are angry and so this is also where we talked about like trains versus buses and trains being like more appealing to people even if buses might make more sense in some context we're also like there's no trains there's a freight train that runs through town we crossed the tra- i tra- crossed the train tracks to get to the bus to go to work but there's no passenger rail Maybe by 2040, there'll be something. Oh my god. <laughs> that's that's a long time. I am. Um, I, I looked up uh, in my book, which I can talk about next, 
since <laughs> since I'm about to comment on it. Um, but I looked up Denver in, in the book that I have. And uh, yeah, it says the full potential may not be realized until the 2040s. <laughs> yeah. So you, you got it on the timeline, um, at least as far as, as this book knows. Um, did you have more to say about your... If, if you're interested in urban design and like how not to create a train system for a city, I think this is a podcast worth listening to. Um, cause it, it interviews a lot of people and it goes really in depth. It's like, it's, it's, it's produced by like a, like a public radio station. It's like not just a random podcast or it's not just us talking about trains and not knowing anything. <laughs> it's actually someone like whose job is to create informative information and who's doing research and getting government documents and everything about this stuff. So yeah, it's, it's interesting in that way. Oh, I'll also mention the, uh, how to fuck up an airport podcast about the Berlin airport, which I was very excited to listen to a while ago. Cause that was oh. anyone that knows anything about like the Berlin airport disaster, um, might find this an interesting one. And this is the sort of thing that I know about. I'm like, Oh yeah, the Berlin airport, they built everything wrong. It was like, took forever before they finally opened it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested in this because I've been to Berlin to three of Berlin's airports because, you know, they <laughs> they had two and now they have one and I know I understand it was a whole kerfuffle in between, but there's links in the show notes to some YouTube channels and videos about trains and transport things. But even if people are like, that's way too nerdy, I can't deal with that. John Oliver had a section on Last Week Tonight recently about freight trains in America, which is again not a, a, a transportation for humans system, but is a vehicle thing that's worth watching if you're interested in freight trains in america nobody's interested in freight trains in america matthew what are you talking about <laughs> there are definitely people interested in freight trains in america matthew well now there are after the, that john oliver episode of last week tonight people are now much more interested in freight trains than they were before people now have opinions about freight trains anyway that's it for me goodbye <laughs> <laughs> delightful jam did you want to go Sure, I'll go since I've already referenced the book that I, I read and and held it up to show you all a few times. Um, so I read, we have in our house two editions of the same book. And so read is a loose phrase. I have been flipping through these, these, two, uh, these two editions of Transit Maps of the World, Every Urban Train Map on Earth uh, by Mark Ovenden uh, is, is the main author. And, uh, yeah, it is a collection of transit maps from, from all around the world. Uh, I, w I will say, if you have the opportunity to flip between two different editions of it, it's kind of fun and worth doing. Um, I think one is the 2007 edition, and then the one I have in my hands is the 2015 edition. And uh, just seeing how much has, has changed uh, across the two editions in, in under 10 years is really interesting. And like the way that they organized the, the sections has changed a little and um, they organized them into zones. So zone one is the transit systems that uh, they have the most material on. Uh, and so I think it is, it has doubled in size in, in between the two editions. Um, and so there are a lot of systems that have grown or expanded or, or they have more, more research available on, um, in, in the newer edition. It is, it is very little text. It is kind of a coffee table book. It is mostly maps with some ex like short, short paragraphs of explanatory text. So if you're looking for like an in-depth 
uh, explanation of of how these these uh, systems were developed. It will not give you that. For that, you'll have to probably find a podcast. <laughs> Based on our experience, at least. <laughs> or other resources. But yeah, it, it, it definitely more than once I have like looked at a, a system and been kind of interested and gone, oh, I want to learn more about that and and gone to Wikipedia to read like a little short version of, of um, how that system was developed. Honolulu has a rapid transit system now, which I did not realize. Um, in the book, it says like it's in their last section, which is like future, um, you know, planned uh, systems, which is really interesting to see and then go look up to see if they actually exist yet or not and if they exist in the same form or not. So Honolulu, the 2015 book said um, should be done by 2017. It opened last year. Um, so <laughs> does it have anything to say about Ottawa's uh, transit system? Oh, my God. Don't don't you dare. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Uh, like your 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 comments, Boulder is not in here, which is interesting to me. Um, I did not see Boulder in the interest in the uh, index, but uh, I guess maybe similarly, not exactly similarly, but but the the Houston um, listing mentioned that like after a 27 year struggle, Houston finally has an elevated train or something, and so I like went to the uh Wikipedia article about Houston's transit system and um I yeah I, I have not read it in full but it's long like there was a there was some some misfires and it seems like th- there's probably a like really interesting story for every transit system in the book um yeah so if you, if you are interested in rabbit holes if you would like a big book of potential rabbit holes to go down it is a great book for that um I think it is it is it is nice also that like for each city um they have like little infographics um next to the the city name showing like when the system was first built, how long it is, how many stations it has and the population that the the population of the the metro area that it serves. Uh and it is you know fascinating but unsurprising to me i just started for a while comparing the size of american cities with these really sort of tiny shrinky <laughs> tank transit systems with you know european and asian cities that uh sometimes are much smaller and have much more robust transit systems and to some extent you can pin that on on history where like a lot of these European transit systems are super, super old, and there is not the same uh, will in North America to build new infrastructure um, that doesn't already exist. But also, they mention in the introduction of this this 2015 edition that, like, whatever the next edition they do is is going to be overwhelmingly maps of Asian transit systems because they are, in you know, invested heavily in in creating new ones uh in in china specifically and and in lots of places in asia so it is not an inevitability that (laughs) that the united states and and canada have these quite small um transit systems but you know it is yeah it, it is it is uh fascinating for i think both the casual just like flipping through and looking at some Ooh, pretty maps. Um, and if you're interested in in a jumping off point to to look deeper into a particular city, uh, it is fun for that too. I realize what I want is like not an entire book about one transit system. 
because I think that is too, it would go too much in depth, uh, and lose my interest. But I'm like, I would love like an anthology basically where like each chapter is on a different, like I want like a fairly long essay about transit systems in different cities in, in wherever, like honestly, country by country would be fine as well, or region by region. Um, like I want something less dry than Wikipedia. <laughs> more pictures. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, d- I don't want to read a, like an entire book about the development of the Vancouver Skytrain system, but like I'd read an article about it. Mm-hmm. Vancouver switched zones in, in the book between the 2007 and 2015 edition, which is fun. Fun for me specifically. <laughs> like, I, th- I think honestly, in some ways, like we were spoiled living in Vancouver because all of us used to live there or currently live there because Vancouver's transit system is really good. We complained about it all the time while we were there, but it's, it's very good, at least for Canada or the USA. Yeah, I went from Montreal to Vancouver to Ottawa, and Ottawa has been a little disappointing in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Your your comment also about like the train station that you have to drive to and park at to take is also like how they expanded the trains in Rhode Island, um, which like. As someone who used to have an hour commute in Rhode Island, I would have appreciated, but still like was not still was not like convenient or great, <laughs> like not ideal um, to drive to the one train line and and take the commuter rail in. But mm-hmm. I want to read a book about the people who have done the uh, station announcements for different transit systems around the world. Oh, yes, there is. Like, you know how sometimes there are sound maps of different cities? And I remember going to the Montreal one just so I could listen to the the metro stations. So when it had, would record like two minutes of Barry Ucam or something like that, and it's all the background shuffle, 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 and then the announcements. So in Guelph in Ontario, I can't remember if it was like a person recorded or like an automated, it might have just been like an automated computer voice that announced stops. But it was like literally changing how people pronounced one of the streets in town because people that had lived in Guelph like their entire lives pronounced it one way. But people who were like students and stuff who moved to the town, like they're like, oh, this is how the bus says it. This is how this this street name is pronounced. Okay, that's horrifying because I have heard GPS trying to pronounce the French names. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely did when I was in, I visited Tokyo a few years ago. And um, at, yeah, pronouncing anywhere that we went, I, I, Ian and I were both just imitating the, <laughs> the, uh, the train announcements. I do definitely remember rethinking how to pronounce like, Quebec or Quebec based on like the train announcements for, for the street name in Vancouver. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Being like, oh, huh? <laughs> well, if you've thought about it, that's more than a lot of Canadians have. <laughs> so I went down the pathway that was more like um, urban planning and engineering. So the book that I read was uh, "Confessions of a Recovering Engineer: Transportation for a Strong Town" by Charles L. Moran Moran Jr. <laughs> and so this is it, like. Like I said, more like the urban planning style, but it is specific to transportation. So like the sections 
it's more specifically about like traffic and, and road design and stuff like that. So like the sections in here are about, you know, what's a road, what's a street, how do we design them? How do engineers design them? How would, might we rethink this? What makes a good street? What is, how do we deal with traffic congestion, intersections, um, transportation technology, traffic, how do our traffic stops, like how do those operate? Um, like all this kind of stuff. And um, what I wasn't entirely tracking on when I selected this item to read um, was the whole strong town thing, which I, I was aware of, but I wasn't really thinking about when I selected this. So strong towns is sort of a movement in engineering and urban planning, um, you know, kind of suggesting a reframing of how we think about street design and city design, um, particularly in, in North America, but, or particularly in the United States. Um, and Charles Moran is the person who sort of started this movement. Um, and so I hadn't thought, I, it just had not cottoned into my brain when I selected this book, but partway through, you you pretty quickly come to realize that there is a larger narrative going on here that this is just a chunk of, um, and this is the specific chunk that it's about how do we deal with roads and stuff. Um, but if you've ever heard the term strode, which is a street road, that comes out of this. Yes, I do hear a lot of YouTubers use that term. Yes. <laughs> dismissively. <laughs> right. So this is where he he breaks down a discussion of like what is a strode and and how do you define that and why is it defined that way um from his perspective and and also breaks down like what is a street versus what is a road and how are they designed differently and, and why would you do that. Um but I I think what's interesting about this book is kind of who it's written for to a degree. Um it is very easy to read. This is not a book that's going to go over your head, right? Like, it's really simplifying things and making it very apparent, the decision-making that's going on in here. And you you start to realize, like, it, as you read it, that it is – it has an agenda. <laughs> it's trying to make an argument to you, and it's very clear about that, and trying to convince you by making it super easy to understand its points and arguments. Um, and it's really just about, like – you know, we're not doing a good job at street design because we overthink, we overdevelop our street design towards the benefit of traffic movement and cars um, for a variety of different reasons. But in doing that, we misthink the purpose of our roads and therefore design poor roads in various ways and, and design poor communities around that. This reminds me of a video on, I believe, the Not Just Bikes YouTube channel, which is about things like this. And it's talked about like the danger of being a pedestrian in the United States because it talks about these really wide roads. And then I'm watching this video and then I'm like, and it's showing like inter like dangerous intersections and really bad street design and things like that. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, this looks really familiar. I'm like, oh, that is literally the apartment building we used to live in in Las Vegas in this example of bad places for pedestrians to be. Oh. And to make it worse, that was one of the better places in Las Vegas that we found. That was one of the more walkable areas of Las Vegas because we could walk to a supermarket. You could walk to the library. I could walk to work at the university. So that was one of the best places in Las Vegas. And it was being used as this example of terrible pedestrian design. It was. It was bad 
very bad pedestrian design. But still, I'm like, and this is the best they've got to offer. But so it was kind of like very funny to see that building. Yeah, it it it, it was a terrible intersection, but it it was literally the intersection we walked through regularly. It was our our local intersection to get to everything from where we lived, like the grocery store and all the, the local like market and everything. Um, so it was very funny to see that. But yes, um, that is basically referencing the same ideas here. Um, so any, it's very readable. It's like super easy to get through. Um, and also really does make you think differently about road design. But what I found personally most interesting was this that aspect of it that is the sort of confessions of an engineer aspect, which is to say it really takes like some of the language um, – of engineers and the ways that they think and frame things um, and breaks down that for a layperson so that you know, you know, like, what does this terminology mean? What When they state this, what are they referencing? What are they using to get to this um, standard or this idea? How are they doing that? Like, that's the part that I found very interesting. Um, the other thing that I found very interesting was the argument that he made around, like, um, engineers shouldn't be making the values decisions about these roads. They should be making the like str- the the structural, like, structural, yeah, the lo- like the logistical decision. They should be do- figuring out how best to do the values decision. But the community and our representatives in the community are the ones that have to make those values decisions. So we have to kind of reframe that because um, in engineering, the way a lot of things are done right now is is those values decisions are just plopped into the, you know, hands of the engineer in order to do that, um, rather than given to the community to decide. And then the engineer just figures out how to implement that. And I thought that was a very compelling argument. I think that was one of the things that I was most on board with, even if I don't know enough to like per se follow like whether or not they've got the best argument for how this should be done. I did think that was a good point. So what I ended up reading, because we had a shortened timeline with something that's local to Canada and then something that's hyper local, which was my favorite thing. And I will not apologize for that, even though you probably won't be able to find it. anywhere. But the first thing I read is called Canadarm and Collaboration, How Canada's Astronauts and Space Robots Explore New Worlds um, by Elizabeth Howell. So this talks about Canada's involvement in um, transportation to space. Um, One of the interesting things about this is actually... um, Canada had a airplane called the Arrow. The Avro Arrow. Avro Arrow. Sorry. Link to the Canadian Heritage Minute in the show notes. <laughs> yes. Sure. Great. Yes. Heritage Minute minute in the show notes. Although the government canceled the project and destroyed the prototypes, the Avro Arrow remains for Canada a world benchmark in aerospace achievement. And when that got canceled, we had a whole bunch of aerospace engineers who needed a job so they got jobs with nasa (laughs) um and then later on uh when there people like lots of people wanted to do experiments on the spacecraft that were going into space and because canada was supporting the the u.s space program they were able to negotiate seats 
on on the shuttles that were growing up. So it talks a lot about um, the technological advancements that Canada participated with in terms of robotics. It talks a lot about the astronauts specifically who went up and the work that they did. And then um, Canada's space program sort of more generally on a political level like the organizations and whether or not they were getting consistent funding um, and where they were. This wasn't quite what I was thinking of when I was thinking of transportation, but because my colleague recommended it, I was like, oh, I should take a look. And space is like the most long distance transportation we're probably ever going to think about if it ever becomes a more regular kind of thing. There's lots of really interesting like space-related facts and interesting tidbits, tidbits, but very specifically focused on Canada's participation in space events. Space events. Space exploration. Um, <laughs> so that, that was definitely interesting. But the thing that I loved the most that I read this month is called... Um, I will just do the translation. It's It was published both in English and in French uh, at the same time. And it's called Links Between Two Cities, The Historic Bridges Between Ottawa and Hull. Um, and it was published in 1989. And it was written by a local historian, Lucien Brault. Brault? I think it's Brault. Um and so it's just research into the bridges that connect these two cities. Um, a lot of it focuses on the first bridge, the the one that's next to the, the Chaudière, the falls, and how challenging it was. It fell down a lot, uh, unsurprisingly, because it was a challenging place. It was actually like six different bridges linked together to get across the river. Um, and I think one of the things I loved so much about it is um, when you live in a place where you're connected by bridges, it really makes clear, like, the transportation links that move people and goods and and um, everything else between spaces. And the, they create bottlenecks. You know, when we had floodings, those those connections could be broken quite easily. It's where they put all of the... When they closed the border during the pandemic, that's where they stuck all the police people. Despite the fact that, like, people live and work across each of these two cities quite significantly. And then because it was published in 1989, they used a lot of photos of the area that are now historic because they're 30 years old. And so I could take a look and be like, oh, this is where they built that weird new condo building <laughs> or whatever. You know, where are they going to build the new library? All right. Did you have anything else to wrap up your section, Megan? I highly recommend looking up any sort of hyper-local histories of your area. It's delightful. I love that two of us did that this episode. Yeah, yeah. And then and then also I mentioned that like one, like a video at least about like hyper-local Vancouver train stuff. So really, all all of our regions are represented in this area, in this episode. Yay! I did when I was browsing the shelves to see uh, if there was anything relevant in the branch where I work. There was not a lot, but there was one super large thick book of uh, oral history of Vancouver bicycle culture. Uh, <laughs> and it just was uh, for a short month. <laughs> 
was not going to happen, but I could have could have gone a, a more hyper local direction than I did. Nice. Checks for relevant appeal factors are not in operation on this podcast. You will not be expected to produce a reason for why you are reading this or any other genre. I feel like this actually is a nice segue into like appeal factors in that I think it highlights how um, very relevant this is to our lived experience, to our lives, to how our communities feel, to how we interact with the world and with each other. Um, and so like this, like hyper local aspects of it really pulls out like aspects of our our community's histories, aspects of our community health uh, and well-being. Like there's so much that is tied into like it, it's a real genuine important issue in our lives that we don't always look into super closely. But I think for some people that's that's a little more apparent than for others. And for some people it's like fun to look at that. Mm-hmm. There's the like day-to-day mundanity of of having to move around spaces to get to the grocery store, to get to your job, to visit people, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like food and that all of us have to deal with it. And then there are like other layers kind of like, I don't know, books about chefs or something and you get to see other people do the thing. If that is a reasonable way to put it. Books about fancy trains. (laughs) Yeah, you do get like travel logs and stuff as well. You know, like people being, oh, I I rode the train a very long way. (laughs) You know, like I did the entire Trans-Siberian Express or whatever it has, you know, the Orient Express. Like I took the train this very long way and here's about my trip. Yeah, I walked the Appalachian Trail. I biked around the world. I biked across Australia. So yeah, it's like there, there is an overlap with like travel writing and things like that even like yeah like uh, a supposedly fun thing i'll never do again by david foster wallace thank you which is about being on a cruise ship uh could also be seen as as a sort of thing about this because like a cruise ship is a sort of is is a form of transportation even if people are basically going in a big circle mm-hmm. <laughs> i like that i got to his name backwards i was like wallace foster wallace david <laughs> wallace foster david <laughs> yeah loves cruises can't get enough cruises the alternate universe version the like taped on goatee version of david foster wallace just writes really short cheerful books (laughs) (laughs) very straightforward disclaimer i have never read david foster wallace i'm sorry any any david foster wallace fans who are offended i've only read his like essays about tennis yeah i've only read some essays as well Jam, I'm just imagining you're like evil doppelganger who's like Edward Jams. <laughs> Edward Jams. I mean, they sound pretty cool. <laughs> they hate Zelda. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. They hate new Zelda because I never played a Zelda game before Breath of the Wild. And so they're like, they're a, they're an early Zelda purist. They're a big Zelda gatekeeper. Yeah, classic Zelda <laughs> Is that my main personality trait? <laughs> I honestly was just thinking of something that you really enjoy that would be distinct. Okay, so, so wait, we've got bicycles, Zelda comics. Uh-oh, what about me? I don't know if I have anything. Never finishing a book. Yeah, Never not finishing books. Book. <laughs> they, only read, they only read the conclusions as your evil doppelganger. <laughs> only I, the conclusions oh, in the last chapters. <laughs> I mean, they, they, yes, they only read the conclusion last chapters. They also uh, don't keep books around. They like only take one at a time from the library and like keep them on a designated spot. And then, yeah. (laughs) 
What strikes me as very funny about this is we're almost describing Matthew as much because he is like, he does not keep books around. He gets rid of them when they're done. He keeps very few of them. He mostly uses the library and he always finishes what, like his books. Like he's like very, and he's very disciplined about what he reads in order, what he's decided. And hates modern Zelda. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's much, that's much too strong of a word. Sorry. We were way off topic here. Is this, is this, yeah, are we, do we have more to say about transportation? Appeal factors. Yeah. Oh, there are like ships and boats and whatever that have played large historical roles. There's a lot of historical interest in the evolution of um, these types of transportation. Um, and then like dreaming about the, the future of them as well is probably uh, an appeal. Yeah, I was going to say for for anyone who's interested in history and like does their their pleasure nonfiction reading in the world of history, there may be a strong appeal to reading the um, like the history of a, a particular place through the window of of its transportation, either you know a public transit system or an airport or um, just you know its roads and and um, it, it gives. Uh, yeah, a specific a specific inroad into the into the history of a place that is connected um, so much to um, so much to like the politics of the place, the geography of a place, the population of a place, um, and how and how those things have changed and shifted through time. Yeah, and there's also like the engineering behind different layers of transportation. So like the roads and the rails and the the vehicles themselves and how do we support them and the high speed trains. Everything comes back to trains. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> I think you're right though to the engineering aspect as well because I, I think for some people the sort of ingenuity aspect of it and human ingenuity and what we've been able to create and how we've been able to sort of, um, you know, push forward our communities and growth um, as however you define that in various ways um, is a really fascinating aspect for many people. And some people just find it truly beautiful. Like the, just the way that we create and build things is just beautiful. And so that can be represented through certain types of objects sometimes, such as a car or a train or an airplane or boat or whatever it is. Would we read this genre again? I will certainly watch videos about it. They will publish new books about bicycles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> such excitement <laughs> they will they will um yeah i feel like uh, me personally i am more interested in checking out some podcasts <laughs> or perhaps about this or videos um but i did i did enjoy the the books that i uh that i browsed um and and may do do that level of engagement again i think i'm i'm with you jam that i'm i'm not as much into the reading experience for this. This is maybe not an area of nonfiction that particularly calls to me, which isn't to say I totally counted out. It's just not one that really calls to me that hard. Um, but I can absolutely, in fact, I'm certain I will watch and, you know, videos and listen to podcasts and things about um, topics relevant to this area. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Book Club for Masochists. Find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, subscribe so you never miss an episode, and consider giving us a positive rating and or review. If you've already done that, thank you. For all our URLs and social media accounts, the foreigner name is a numeral. You can go to our website at bookclubform.com. 
Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash book club for M and find us on Instagram at book club for M. Our email address is book club for M at gmail.com. On our website, you can find show notes that will provide links to things we mentioned, social media info for everyone who appeared in this episode, and our genre-based book lists of titles by authors of color. You can suggest a genre or title for us to read or request a recommendation from us. We have a form you can fill out on our website, bookclub4m.com. No promises on reading your specific suggestion, but if you ask for a recommendation, we will give you one. All opinions are our own, and do not reflect our places of employment, if they exist. Book Club for Masochist is licensed under a Creative Commons Attributions Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is To Arrakis by Dark Sun from the Free Music Archive. New episodes are the first and occasionally the third Tuesday of every month. Join us again on Tuesday, February 6th, just in time for Valentine's Day. We'll be discussing the genre of humorous slash funny romance. Then on Tuesday, February 20th, we'll be talking about our reading resolutions for 2024. 2024? That can't be right. That's definitely the future. I expected someone else to have to read that. (laughs) Foiled. A taste of your own medicine. 100%. (laughs) I'm so frustrated that I realized that I could have been like saying like, next stop, what did we read? (laughs) (laughs) And put in like samples and made it sound all like crackly, like an announcement voice. So please leave the podcast. (laughs) In an orderly manner. (laughs) Yeah, please leave the podcast in order to move to the back of the podcast. (laughs) The podcast will end on your right. (laughs) No, no, Jam, we definitely end on the left. <laughs> Matthew has, of course, gotten distracted by looking something up on the internet. It just, it just. Vroom, 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 vroom. Transportation! Build a train! Build a train! Build a train! <laughs> we want trains! We want trains. It's two groups of protesters, one yelling one more lane and the other saying, build a train. (laughs) You're standing in the middle trying to discern which group is which because you can't quite tell the the difference in the phrasing. Oh no, the outro. Oh, the outro. Oh no, outro. The next episode of this podcast is due on Tuesday, February 6th, 2024. This episode is a direct route to discussing humorous and funny romance and will arrive just in time for Valentine's Day. This podcast terminates here. Please ensure that you take all of your personal belongings with you.